before we dive in, I want to draw your attention to inside your bulletins. There should be this thing, this sheet, this sign-up form. Um, and for those of you who didn't make it to the congregation meeting last week, uh, what we created is this uh, ministry form because we think about the enormity um, of the vision that God has called this congregation to and all of the different moving pieces that we have. And the one of the realities I think that anybody who's been in ministry for a long time will have is that there's two areas in the church that are hugely disproportionate to the number of people who actually come on Sundays. It's very, in most churches, about 20% of the congregation carries 70 to 80% of the given. And the same thing with the volunteer. It's usually about 20 or 30% of the people who come every week that handle most of the, like, volunteer responsibilities and keep the church going. And the reality of the fact is, with all that we're called to do, if we're going to be effective, and if we're not going to burn people out, we need everybody to do something. Now, the thing is that maybe there hasn't been an opportunity for you to do the thing that you feel called or gifted to do. And so what we try to accomplish with this form is on the front, you see the different ministry teams that we have. And if one of these things, if you're not like, if you are not doing anything in the church, um, it's an opportunity for you to say like, you know what? Missions and outreach kind of resonates with me a little bit. Or, you know, I can be on a welcome team and greet people and say hi. The other things on the back there are just a list of different kind of like skills. Um, one in the leadership section where it says like HR policy. Um, like if you say you like, you know what, I'm, I'm an I'm HR buff. I kind of like writing policy. This is something that I want to do. And you want to like work with Pastor X to make sure that the church is covered. Just check that. And maybe it's a one or two hour, you know what I'm saying, commitment a month to help make sure that we're in tip top shape. But the reality is there's something for everybody. And if you don't see something that connects with you on here, just write it in the back and say like, you know what? I really like to be a part of this. But what I'm encouraging everybody to do is if you call Naperville Covenant Church your home church, if you are a member tour and up, so member tour, member, regular attender, like if this is pretty much when you wake up and say, I'm going to church today, if this is where you come, I want you to consider how you can be a part of making the day-to-day things happen um, around here so we can accomplish everything that God has called us to do because we can't do it alone and we don't want to burn the folks out who are already serving. And the other thing is I'll say this, a lot of times like when you start in the ministry, you kind of get like stuck. So like, yeah, you know what? I started singing in the choir when I was 15 and I'm 60 and I'm still singing in the choir. And I really, you know, I really would like to try to do something else. And I'm not trying to like post people from the choir, Kayla. So no, please don't be mad at me. All right. <laughs> it's going to be beef. But, um, but if there's just like some ministry that you've been a part of and you're like, you know what? I really want to try something different. This is the opportunity to do that too. We really just want people to serve in areas that they have a passion for um, or care for. So it won't be like a chore to get them to do what they've signed up to do. So take some opportunity. Um, I want to kind of do this for the next couple of weeks and then, um, you know, turn them in. You can 
put them in the back next to the word for the year. And then we'll kind of disperse them to the folks who lead the different teams. Okay. All right. Yes. Hello. You guys are funny. <laughs> it's like real quiet. I was also noticed. I'm just going to throw this out there. Like nobody sits in the front rows. That's really hard for me. Like I'm having to project even further. I'm like, man, I showered. I did brush my teeth and I don't eat dairy on Sunday morning. So like this area is okay. Like you, you can come closer. Um, anyway, I just, I just, I know this. It's like, it's, anyway. <laughs> so this is us is our thing. Can we hit that next slide? We found this really cool. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor. So we found this really cool, like Christ logo. It's like Jesus with the crown of thorns. So this is our this is our official <laughs> logo for this like Christ series. <laughs> you guys are rough today, man. Jesus, <laughs> what's I know it's cold, but geez. It's colder in here than it is outside. <laughs> so like Christ, our series, as we journey through Corinthians, and it's Paul's um, attempt through this letter that he wrote to the Corinthian church to help reshape the church in the image of Christ, the way that it was started. And one of the things that I was thinking about um, this morning, or just in general, is like, you know, as a pastor or any leader or orator, anybody that creates stuff, it can be really painful when you, when you create something, you know, you create a sermon and somehow it's misunderstood. Like that somehow the intention that you had when you, when you wrote the sermon and you preached the sermon, that somehow people didn't get it. It can be, I know it is for me. Um, it can be pretty painful. Or especially when you write something that you hope is encouraging and it ends up being like the opposite. Like people are like not encouraged and they're like sad or downtrodden. And it's like that was not what I wanted to happen. When you hope to inspire uh, somebody through the word and through scripture and you end up tearing them down. Uh, it can be really painful. And it makes me think about like inventors and people who create stuff when they create things and they're being used in ways that they didn't intend for them to be used. And I think that we do it all the time and don't recognize, you know, that we do it and then not think about the, what the implications can be. So something as simple as this stool that was created simply for us to sit on to give those of you like me with back issues, back relief, right? But how many times when we say like, oh, I need to change the light bulb, instead of going to get in the ladder, we just grab the stool or we grab a chair that's not meant to hold our weight in that way, and then we tumble and fall and hurt ourselves. Because when things that are created for a specific purpose are not used the way that they were created to be, sometimes it causes unintended damage. 
And how many people have lost teeth or broken legs or broken limbs because they used a chair when it wasn't supposed to be or a way it wasn't supposed to be used? Or even in an in a even more painful, violent thought, like think about when people use stuff like bats for things other than playing baseball. And just so many other things that we can think of when they're used out of context. And it really had me thinking about the church. So like today, like I, I asked myself, I wonder, because I was reminded, I was asking, I'm like, you know, when, can somebody tell me like when was the actual first Sunday that Naperville Covenant Church met? And I was talking to Bob Diller. So if this is wrong, blame Bob. So Larry, let me know. But, but he was, he, he told me it was January the 2nd. 1977? Is that correct? January the 2nd, 1977. So first of all, can we just give the Lord a round of applause? Because it's been 43 years of ministry. God has been working in this congregation for 43 amazing years. And it made me wonder, I wonder if the families that got together um, and felt the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, along with the denomination, to start this church, like what, what, what do they say? What do they feel when they see what's happening now? Is there a feeling of encouragement? Like, yes, like, you know what? It's, it's moving in a direction that we didn't foresee, but man, we feel blessed to see what's happening. Or are they like, yeah, this isn't what we intended it to be. And then I started kind of thinking on the even larger scale and said, huh, I wonder what the founders of our denomination will be saying right now in the midst of all the things that are happening in our denomination and the conversations that are going on and the division that we see happening. Like, what would they say? Hmm. And then I took another step back and got even bigger. I said, I wonder if Jesus walked into the buildings today. Somebody say, hey, welcome to church. Would you be like, oh, word? Church? Oh, okay. Thanks, thanks, thanks for pointing that out. Thanks for telling me. I didn't know. Are we, do we, look like what God intended us to look like? It's a tough question. I know Paul's answer. Paul made it very clear in 1 Corinthians that what he was hearing about the Corinthian church was not what he had in mind. That when he had spent that time in Corinth helping getting the Corinthian church started, that the church that he was hearing about was not the church that he left. And so as he starts this letter to the Corinthian church, and we talked last week about Paul's kind of like emphasis on call in the, in the prologue, as he talked so much about the importance of call, our call in our relationship to God, and then our call in relationship to each other in the church. He then begins to kind of talk about one of the things that was plaguing the church the most. 
And it was this concept of disunity. If we look at chapter 1, verse 10, and I got my big print Bible now, my big print NIV, so you all can follow with me. Verse 10 says this, it says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. I think the first thing that we can glean from this verse is that working toward unity should be our goal. That working toward unity should be our goal. And the reality of the fact is, brothers and sisters, this is difficult. Because in this room, you got about 150 people with 150 different backgrounds and 150 ideas and approaches to things. But we are called to figure out in the midst of all of our differences and experiences and thought processes and desires, how we can unify in order to do mission together. And that is why things like, even though it feels mundane, things like congregational meetings and things like that are important because that becomes a place where we can lovingly hash things out. It's, it's not the parking lot with our best friends where we say what we really feel because that's not Christ honoring. It, 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 it is the times where we where we come together and we pray together and we work together and we hash things out together saying, hey, in a mutual approach to discernment, what is God calling us to do in this community through this ministry and figuring out a way that we can all move forward unified in Jesus Christ? Because the reality of the fact is that the only thing that really can unify us most of the time is our connection through Jesus Christ. Because when we take Jesus out of the equation, then all of the other things that come to keep us divided come to the forefront. And so Paul is saying, listen, I know it's easy to find reasons to be divided. We talked last week, they were trying to figure out who, who, because this person was the better preacher, he was more important, or this person uh, had better skills at this, at this certain thing, this person spoke in tongues, or all these different spiritual gifts. They were finding all of these different reasons to be divided. And Paul is saying, listen, I appeal to you, I beg you, I urge you, so, so, so the founder of this movement in this area is leveraging his relationship and his power with the people in Corinth saying, listen, if I mean anything to you, I beg you to figure out how to get this right and do this together and be unified in mind and thought. 
And unity doesn't necessarily uh, mean that we agree on every single thing, but unity means that we have decided because we're committed to each other that the things that we mutually decide on will be the things that we do. Which is why we're always encouraged to not just go for the simple majority, right? Sometimes it's important to say, listen, if we take a vote and out of 100%, only 51 people say yes, technically we can move forward, but should we? Because if, this, if it's that much divisiveness on a certain thing, then maybe we need to spend more time either praying about the direction that we are hearing from God or making sure that we have done the work that needs to be done to make sure that we're all on the same page. Does that make sense? And so Paul is encouraging his church as they start to approach some of the other more difficult things is saying, listen, we can't even get to the more difficult things or difficult aspects of, of faith and life together if we can't even agree to be unified in thought and mind. <laughs> because if we can't be unified in Christ, how can we be unified in how we spend our money? If, if, we, if, we, if we can't be unified in Christ... How can we be unified in the mission statement or in the strategic, strategic plan? And so Paul is urging, begging, appealing, saying, be unified in mind and thought. And so congregation, one of the, the most important things that we can do as we develop relationship with each other and pursue mission, is to pursue unification so that we can move forward together. Because what good does it do to accomplish anything if we accomplish it and we lose half the body? The next verses say this, verses 11 through 13, read as follows. It says, my brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. And what I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. And then he poses this, says, is Christ divided? Was, was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? He said, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Paul is regarded as a rhetorical genius because he always found this way to ask these really tough, powerful questions that often threw it back on the person who was hearing what he was trying to say. He had heard from the folks in Chloe's household that people were now divided by the people who had baptized them physically. 
So for the folks who had kind of deepened their faith and were baptized by Apollos, they were like, well, I am a disciple of Apollos. And for the folks who were baptized by Cephas, well, I'm a disciple of Cephas. The problem with that is that Paul so uh, uh, beautifully brings up is that while you have this loyalty to a person, the person that's baptized you, Apollos didn't die for you. And as a matter of fact, what he is saying is that when Apollos uh, accepted that inner work that was happening with you when you chose to be a follower of Christ, and, and you, like I said in, in the meeting last week, when I decided to get baptized, I walked to the front to the slow music, and, you know, they were singing, We will cry to you, oh, my brothers, and I walk up, and I eventually get baptized and dipped in, in the water. That my father didn't say, I now baptize you, son, in the name of Leslie Sanders, Sr. As a matter of fact, he didn't say, I now baptize you, son, in the name of the Presbyterian Church, USA. And we all know that real salvation comes from the Presbyterian Church. Uh... (laughs) But he didn't, he didn't, he didn't even say that. He said, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And at the end of the day, if Christ isn't divided, how can his church be? Because we're not baptized in the name of our churches. We're not baptized in the name of our denominations. We're not baptized in the name of the camps that we went to where we found faith. We're not baptized in the name of the pastors who were pastoring the churches where we got baptized. We didn't get baptized by the pastors that we follow on Instagram or that we follow on Facebook or that we follow their websites. We were baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so... (coughs) As loyalty goes, our loyalty should be first and foremost to the Father, to the Son, because we were baptized in Christ. But even more than that, what Paul is trying to say, I'm hearing that you guys are divided because of these leaders, these leaders who are charismatic, these leaders who are very uh, prophetic in their word. We hear that you are, uh, are, are dividing yourself amongst those things, but is Christ himself divided? When Jesus was raised from the dead, he didn't, he wasn't raised in pieces. It wasn't like, Thriller and <laughs> you remember this? and like the arm coming up through the grave and this and then the leg <laughs> Christ wasn't raised divided. And if we are baptized in Christ, 
And we are the church of Christ, the body of Christ. If Christ's body is not divided, how can his body be divided? And so Paul is pointing out that something is fundamentally wrong with how the church is operating because the church should not operate in a way that Jesus Christ himself did not operate. And so Paul is challenging them by saying, Was Jesus divided? No, he wasn't. You shouldn't be either. And, and, and the thing that I love about Paul is because Paul always finds a way uh, to, to throw a little bit of his, like, his, I, I like to call it Pauline sarcasm into the text. Because he goes on to say, he's like, I thank God that I did not baptize any of you well except Crispus and Gaius so no one can say that they were baptized in my name and he's like well yes I also baptized the household of Stephanas beyond that I don't remember if I baptized anyone else <laughs> like okay them two alright them two okay fine but <laughs> nobody else because I don't want you walking around saying like, hey, I'm a disciple of Paul because Paul baptized me. And part of the challenge that we have is that we have to have a responsibility to combat any loyalty that does not point people to Christ. So that when things begin to come up, when things begin to happen, that we have to constantly point people to Christ and to the cross. Because sometimes it's easy to find alignment in things that don't matter as much as Christ matters. I remember I was about 25 when, and I was serving as a youth pastor at a church, Southside, my dad's church, actually, church I grew up in. And there was nothing excuse me, inherently wrong with my upbringing, my faith experience. But I started to feel this disconnect. And I felt like God was calling me to something different. And I didn't quite understand. And part of it was because I had grown up in the Presbyterian church. I had went to Presbyterian camps. I had been ordained as a deacon. And I was ordained as an elder. And I was about to go to seminary. And my dad had done all this really cool stuff in the denomination. So I kind of had like this golden ticket to do whatever it was I wanted to do in the denomination. Because everybody was like, oh yeah, Reverend Leslie Sanderson is in ministry now. Oh, you're going to be, you're going to be, we can have you do this. We can have you do that. And yet I was like feeling... Like, but no. And so I started like, is there a way we can edit this part out? No. (laughs) I started like sneaking to other churches. Because I was working at Best Buy at the time. And so I would like put on my Best Buy uniform. Like, oh, dad, like I can't come to church today. I'm so sorry. They scheduled me. They shouldn't have. And then I would like show up at these other churches <laughs> if I'm Best Buy uniform. It was kind of weird because people are like, 
Like, do you just want to know that you work at Best Buy? Like, I don't know. <laughs> and then one day I stumbled upon this church called Oakdale Covenant Church. I had no idea what the covenant was. And I had been driving past this church for as long as I could remember. But like when I walked in there, I felt like this overwhelming sense that that was where God was calling me to be. And so what I had to decide then as I started to learn more about the covenant and more about how they support women in ministry and, and more about their process to baptism and things like that and just covenant theology, right? I had to decide for where I was theologically at that point and where I felt God calling me to, what was more important? Like my call and the mission that I felt God calling me to or what I was comfortable with, what I was born into, what I knew. Was my loyalty to Christ and the call or was it to the PC USA? What, what, what Paul is challenging this church, and I believe the challenge is for many of us, is that we have to decide what's more important. Is our relationship with Jesus Christ and the things and the places that he is calling us to, the mission that he has called us to, the things that he has called us to do, or is it our loyalties to things that should be secondary to the cross? And so he's saying, listen, I'm glad none of you were able to say that I baptized you, lest you use me as an excuse to not focus on Jesus. And I wonder what it would look like as we build relationships with folks. And I think this is probably one of the most important things as a leader, as a pastor, you have to do. Because if you think about it, this might not be the same experience for you, but it was the experience for me. A lot of the churches, especially because Chicago is such a churchy town, you know what I'm saying? Like a lot of the churches are known more because of their pastors than they are because of their ministries. Have you experienced that? So for the longest time, like, I didn't know, it's probably the worst example to use, but I didn't know that like Bill Hybels was the pastor of Willow, Willow. I didn't know the name Willow, I just knew Bill Hybels. Like, oh, where you go? I go to Bill Hybels church out in the birds. Or I go to James Meeks church out on the south side. And if you ask, a, you know, a urban African-American millennial, it's like, oh yeah, I go to John Hannah's church. Well, what's the name of the church? I don't even know the name. What's the name of the church? New Life Covenant Church. Because they're drawn in by these personalities and not mostly connected to Christ. And so Paul is saying, listen, all this other stuff that we are trying to find connections through is not important. The most important thing is Jesus Christ. And then I think it even it gets even even more difficult because verse 17 just shows you how serious Paul is about your faith and your relationship and the church's mission being centered on Jesus and the cross. Because he goes on to say in verse 7, he says, for Christ did not send me to baptize. Hmm. Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of his power. 
Paul is saying that proclamation of the gospel is the most important thing. And, and, and this is even challenging for me as I read it because I'm like, but this is baptism. Come on. But then I'm reminded that that scripture says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he is the son of God as he risen from dead, you will be saved. And there's no water in there anywhere. It's, it's this reminder that baptism is the outward expression of a work that has already happened in your heart. And so when you make the decision to be baptized, you have already been saved because in that moment, you believe in your heart and you've confessed that Jesus is Lord. So the salvation has already happened and it's happened because somebody proclaimed the gospel message and your heart and the spirit that's working inside of you responded to it. And so what Paul is saying is that while you guys are having divisions around who baptized who, the most important thing is that the gospel is proclaimed so that people's hearts and their spirits can respond to the message of Jesus Christ. Amen. So even when we think about the, the sacraments, when we, when, we, when we break the bread and we drink of the cup, it's symbolic of a forgiveness that has already happened. Because Jesus' body has already been broken. And his blood has already been shed. That we do that in remembrance of him and the work that is done. And so that as we are unified then by Jesus Christ and his work on the cross... That the most important thing that we can do is preach the gospel. Because when the gospel is preached unfiltered and unhindered, people respond. And so we're not called to be overly loyal to a person, place, or thing. We are called to be unified in Christ. We are not called to hold up our baptism or our conversion experiences as better than somebody else's because of who did it. We are called to be unified in Christ because we were not baptized by our denominations. I mean, we were not baptized in the name of our denominations. We weren't baptized in the name of our favorite pastor and our favorite televangelist. The Holy Spirit may be worked through them through the power of the gospel. But ultimately, it was the work of the Holy Spirit. And so what is Paul trying to get us to understand? Is that the most powerful sign to a broken world is a unified church preaching the transformational power of Jesus Christ through the gospel. One of the best things that we can do for the world church is be unified in mind and mission. Because ultimately, like what people are saying, how, why, why do I want to go be a part of something that's that broken? We're fighting over what evangelical means, what's white evangelical, what's black evangelical, what's social gospel, what's prosperity gospel. 
And all of that stuff is second, third, fourth, fifth dairy to the broken body of Christ that was crucified for us, who was dead, buried, and raised three days later. Have to ask ourselves, with everything that we say and everything that we do, is the cross at the forefront? And if the answer isn't yes, then we need to check our hearts. Unity is what we're being called to. Unity in mind, unity in action, unity in heart. Unity around the work of Jesus Christ and the transformational power of the gospel. Let's pray. Holy Father, we just say thank you, dear Lord, for gathering us together today. Dear Lord, as we uh, just spent time in your word, dear Lord, I pray that you find uh, the things that were shared in line with your Holy Spirit, that you find our time together a faithful witness of who you are. Dear Lord, I pray that um, every heart that was challenged um, or that feels conflicted, dear Lord, uh, through prayer and through scripture, the Lord can continue to work out the things that are happening in their hearts. The Lord, most importantly, I pray that we continue as we go deeper and deeper into your word to be the unified body that you have called us to be. The Lord, to be the unified church that Paul talked about in Corinthians. So that you can look upon us and say, that is what I want the church to be. That is what I called you to be. That when you walk into this place, that when you encounter us, you recognize your spirit working through us. And dear Lord, as we get ready to bring our time to a close, I am reminded of so many in our congregation who can't physically be here because they're bodies are recovering. The Lord, be a healer. The Lord, heal reconstructed knees and backs, the Lord, and hearts, the Lord. The Lord, be with those who aren't here because they're just, they're struggling with what it means to be a part of this church and this denomination. The Lord, and I pray that we can find answers together. Dear Lord, we lift up all of the concerns that are on the hearts of your people today. Because we know that you are already working. So we say thank you. We love you. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.